Good evening. It's good to see each of you tonight. Turn, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter 5. While you're finding your place there, I'm just going to share two milestones for some folks in here this evening. Uh, yesterday, for those of you who don't know, Raul turned 21. And that really means nothing, as most of us know, but there's something about it. When you go from 20 to 21, you just feel different. He's not, but uh, you feel it. And uh, we had supper with him Monday. I promise you he's not any different. But uh, anyways, and then tonight is Brother Cecil and Miss Birdie's 45th wedding anniversary. So congratulations to them. Yeah. He said it was at 7 o'clock 45 years ago tonight that uh, they stood in front of the preacher and the preacher married him. So how long of a, uh, almost said how long of a funeral service was it? How long of a wedding ceremony was it? About 10 minutes. So yeah, we're, we're past that. So Anyway, it's very good. That doesn't surprise me that it was quick, but uh, all right. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we will get started. Father, it is good to be in your house tonight. Lord, we are thankful for your goodness to us. God, I pray that you would bless this effort to preach your word, that you would use it to speak to our hearts. Lord, I pray that uh, it would do what needs to be accomplished tonight in the life of each person. Lord, it, it could certainly have some impact in different ways if we allow it to. So, Holy Spirit, I'm praying that you would... Uh, do the work that only you can, I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week, you may remember, I trust that you do, we looked at verses 18 down through verse number 20, and we watched as Paul wrote and spoke of the fact that we as believers have been reconciled unto God through Jesus Christ, and as a result of that, he shared with the Corinthians how they now had the ministry of reconciliation themselves and so I tried to show us last week that because of our salvation, we need to be in the business and about the business of trying to see others reconciled unto God. That should be one of our main priorities. That should be one of our main objectives as we go throughout our daily lives, to see people who are not right with God being made right with God. And that is a challenge for us to remember, is it not? We can get so wrapped up in the activities of our lives. We can get so wrapped up in, in all the things that we feel like need to be done that we lose sight of the responsibility that we have to try to help people in their relationship with the Lord. And then I mentioned sometimes we lack a burden intentionally because we don't really care for the people maybe that we come into contact with. And I tried to remind us last week that they, as much as anyone, need to be reconciled unto the Lord. And so we have a responsibility, whether we like the person or not, to try to help them in their relationship with the Lord. And the way that we will keep that in mind is when we remember that every person we come into contact with has a soul. Every person we come into contact with has a soul that will spend somewhere in eternity, either heaven or hell. And if we could remember that, then I think that would increase our burden to try to see more folks uh, have a right relationship with God through Christ. So that's what we talked about last week, and tonight we're going to continue on. As we do this evening, I want to have us think about something that is so commonplace for you and I that we probably don't give it much attention throughout most of our days. But today or tonight, I want us to think about the financial transactions that you and I engage in. The financial transactions that you and I engage in. We, we do this all the time, do we not? 
If you went to the grocery store this week and you paid money for those groceries, that was a financial transaction. If you just ran quick and got away with it, well, congratulations. But for those who paid, it was a, it was a financial transaction. If you went out to eat and you paid for the meal, that was a financial transaction. You understand this. If you paid your utility bills this week, that was a financial transaction. Now, we understand all that. We understand what's happening, that we are trading our money for either an item or some kind of a service in exchange for that, right? We understand what's happening, that exchange that's taking place in that financial transaction. Now, something that Brother Jim has talked to me about in the past is this, and, and I know what he is saying, but it still doesn't change it for me, okay? He has said before that it's all the same no matter who you're talking about. Sometimes the numbers are just different. Is that basically what you've said? That, that in your dealings with certain people, maybe what's going on in their world compared to what's going on in your world, it's all the same. The numbers are just different. And again, I, I get it, but I want to talk about tonight for just a moment some things that my mind does not grasp. Some things that my mind does not grasp. It's been a couple of years ago, I was watching TV, and I was watching a car auction on TV. Some of you have probably done that at some point in the past. And, and there was some kind of charity raising money on this particular car that was on the auction block. It was a new Corvette, and because it was a charitable situation, the man in the front row paid a million dollars for the Corvette. Now, I know those are just numbers, but that's a really big number to me. That's a financial transaction that my mind does not grasp. To pay $1 million for a car that you'll never drive, it'll just go into your collection as one of however many others, I understand that's a transaction, but it's a transaction that my mind cannot grasp. A few months ago, I was reading about some of the most expensive private planes that people own. Friends, I cannot grasp that kind of wealth. When people are spending 20, 25, 30 million dollars on airplanes and more, I just think to myself, how in the world? That is an amazing transaction that took place, that someone would give that kind of money, that someone would have that kind of money. That is an amazing thing. Just this week, I was on the Internet, and it was a news article that popped up, and it said, take a look inside this person's $35 million mansion. I mean, have you ever thought to yourself, what in the world would cost $35 million? I didn't take the time to look through the person's house because I really don't care. I, I'm just saying $35 million. Somebody paid that or, or somebody is willing to pay that for a home? That to me is just astounding. But in light of all that, here is what you understand. You're aware of this. I, I just want us to think about it, though. What blows my mind is that the people with those kind of resources making those kinds of transactions, for them, it's no big deal. Whenever I watch that person on the auction pay a million dollars for that Corvette, 
He honestly was just sitting there visiting with the people in the front row. And as soon as the, the gavel hit or, or the hammer hit the, the podium that the auctioneer was behind, and it was a million dollars, he was just going to, to kiss a million dollars goodbye. He just kept on talking, kept on laughing, and it was no big deal. First of all, I can't imagine. Second of all, if I just spent a million dollars on a car that I wouldn't drive, I'd be pretty proud of it. Would you? I just, I just spent a million dollars on a car. That's what I did. I'm not saying my attitude would be right. I'm just saying that's what I would do. I would, I, I would be excited about the transaction. The people who fly around in their private jets, to them it's no big deal. It's how you get around. It's how you do business. It's, it's how you transport yourself from one location to the next. The people who live in the $35, $40, $50 million homes, it's just a place to live to them. So here's what happens. They are living in this world where the transactions are amazing in comparison to how you and I live, and to them, it's no big deal. To them, it's just everyday living, it's just everyday life, and it doesn't really do anything for them like you and I would suspect it would do for them, like we think it would do something for us, if that were us in that position. Does that make sense? Okay. So that in mind, this evening I'm going to have us do something for just a moment. It'll be a few minutes before we get to the text, but I want us to think about that for just a moment. And then I want us to make our way into this thought. I want us to think tonight about Christ. Now, I know Sunday night, as a result of the new study that we're in, I know that we spent a little bit of time talking about Christ and his impact on this world. I, I, I'm aware of that, so I'm not trying to re-preach any of that or bore you with this. But I want us to think about this, that over the course of the years, millions of sermons have been preached on Christ. Millions and millions and millions of sermons have been preached on Christ it's probably safe to say that over the course of humanity and its history, probably billions of people have engaged in conversations related to Christ. So many books have been written about the life of Christ. And so tonight I'm not going to be able to say anything that others have not said. But I want us to think about this tonight, that of all the things that could be said of Christ, probably this would be among the most important is that he lived a sinless life. That is what separates him from everyone else who has ever walked on this earth. And so tonight I'm going to share just a few verses to try to, to lay the groundwork for where this message is headed and what it is I'm hoping to accomplish this evening. I want us to think about the Old Testament in the Old Testament, most of us are familiar with this truth that whenever the Jews, the, the children of God, wanted to come and present an offering unto the Lord, it had to be a spotless offering, did it not? That lamb or whatever was brought, it had to be something that had no fault, no blemish, no, no, no flaws of any sort. And, and, and as that perfect sacrifice was required... I think many of us will remember this. It's recorded in John chapter 1, verse number 29. 
John said of Christ, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. That's what John said, right? So if he is referencing an Old Testament event where a sacrifice would take place on behalf of the sins of someone else, whenever, Christ, whenever John referred to Christ as the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world, then here is what John was obviously implying, that Christ was spotless, that he was without fault, that he was without flaw, that he was without any kind of a blemish. And so here is John saying of Christ, he is the perfect Son of God. I think most of us are familiar with this portion of Scripture. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 15, it says that we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. It goes on to say that he was tempted in all points, but was without sin. So the Scripture tells us that as Christ walked on this earth, he was tempted in every area that you and I could be tempted in, but in every source of, or in every, yes, in every source of temptation, here is what Christ did. He resisted the temptation, and he was without sin, no matter the time, no matter the moment, no matter the situation. That's important. If you were to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2 tonight and look in verse number 22, writing of Christ, he said this, that Christ did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. So what is Peter doing? He is confirming what the writer of Hebrews said, what John said, that in Christ there is and was no sin. Nothing ever came out of his mouth that should not have been spoken. That's an amazing thing if we think about it. It says in 1 John chapter 3, verse number 5, it says, In him is no sin. No sin. It doesn't say that he didn't have a lot of sin, that he had less sin than someone else. No, it says of Christ that he had no sin whatsoever. So you've got John, you've got the writer of Hebrews, you've got Peter, you, you've got there in 1 John it being said again that Christ was sinless. And of course other scriptures could point to the same truth. I know I've not given us all of them. But I want us to see this, that over and over and over again, the sinless nature of Christ was declared. Now for just a moment, here's what I'd like us to do. I'd like us to contrast the nature of Christ with the nature of humanity of which all of us are a part. Here's what we know, that none of us are sinless. Not one of us is without sin. We know this. The scripture says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's what the scripture says, right? Every one of us has sinned. Now, tonight I know we could spend a long time trying to do this, trying to illustrate this, talk about all the different sins we've been guilty of. But suffice it to say, if there is a sin out there, most of us have been guilty of most of them in one way or another. Have we not? Not one of us have escaped the sin of lying. Every one of us have lied at some point. 
Not one of us has escaped the sin of saying things that we should not have said. Every one of us have had guile in our mouths at some point, right? Saying things, expressing things, speaking things that we ought not say or express. I think most of us would say this, that at some point in our life, we have been guilty of jealousy and envy. We've wanted what someone else has wanted. We've been guilty of selfishness. We've been guilty of so many different sins. I mean, there is no way that we could suggest for a moment that our nature is anything like the nature of Christ. Where Christ stands in complete purity and holiness, we stand in complete sin, vile, repulsive, dirty, etc. And here's how bad it is. Again, I know that we know this, but, but here's how bad it is that in Isaiah the Scripture says that our righteousness is as what? It says filthy rags. Think about that for just a moment. No matter how good we may try to be, no matter how much we may try to clean our lives up, no matter how much we may try to be good people, the Scripture says at the end of the day, you know what we are? In and of ourselves, we are nothing but filthy, dirty rags. Because of my sin, because of your sin, because of everything we are guilty of, It's still filthy. It's still far from the standard of what God would expect if a person was going to be good enough to be what they're supposed to be in the eyes of God. I want us to hear this tonight because this is so important. Because of who Christ is and because of who we are and because of our hopeless condition, here is what the Scripture says that you and I could never have a right relationship with God in and of ourselves. So if you and I said something like this at some point in our lives, well, I'm going to start going to church every time the doors are open. That's fine, but that's not enough to gain salvation. If somebody says, well, I'm going to be a good person, I'm going to be kind, I'm going to be generous, I'm going to be gracious, I'm going to be obedient to my parents, I'm going to be good to my kids, whatever it may be, whatever a person may say they're going to do, even if they executed it to the standard they held for themselves, maybe even better than what most people do in their own personal lives, no matter what, that would not reconcile them unto God. Are we hearing this? Nothing that you and I could do was ever enough to make the relationship between us and God what it needs to be. So with that in mind, tonight we're going to look at verse number 21. Keep in mind that this is obviously right on the heels of verses 18 through 20, where the subject is all about the reconciliation... And notice what it says in verse number 20. We'll start there and then move into verse number 21. It says, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. 
We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. So there's no arguing as to who the subject matter is right now. It is God and Christ. And it says in verse number 21, it says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. So who is Paul referencing in verse number 21 of the one who knew no sin? Well, that would obviously be a reference to Jesus Christ. Here is Paul confirming and agreeing with what Peter said, with what John said, with what the writer of Hebrews said. Paul is saying the exact same thing of Christ. He knew no sin. If somebody were to ask Paul, did, did Christ ever do anything wrong? Paul could say, read my words. I've already answered the question. No, Christ knew no sin. But it says in verse number 21, For he hath made him to be sin. Well, who hath made him? Well, that would be, that would be God made him, that being Christ, to be sin. Well, what is this a reference to? Well, for those of us who are fairly familiar with the Scripture, those of us who are students somewhat of the Scripture, here's what we know, is that this would be a reference to that moment, that occasion where Christ was on the cross. It was in those moments, it was in those hours, it was in that process of events that here is what Christ did. He took on Himself the sins of mankind. That is what Christ was doing as the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. All the sin of humanity was being placed on the shoulders, so to speak, of Christ as He hung there on the cross. So Paul says to the believers of Corinth, he said, He, that being God, hath made Him, that being Christ, who knew no sin, He made Him to be sin. For who? For us. See, if somebody didn't know the Scripture, if somebody was not aware of the story, if somebody was not mindful of the, the life of Christ and what His life accomplished, the question could be this, why did a sinless, holy, righteous God have to take on the sins of mankind? Why did he have to be forsaken by his father? Why did all this have to happen? And here's what Paul explains. He, God, made Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin, so that one amazing transaction could take place. Are you following this? Here is Christ, and what is He? He is the sinless, spotless, holy, righteous Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of, world, of the world. And, and, and who is man? No matter how good they are, they are nothing more than filthy rags in the sight of God. And so there is this division between man and God that can never be fixed through the efforts and through the works of man. And so what has to happen? There has to be an incredible transaction take place between God and man, and it had to involve Christ taking on himself 
the sin of man, paying the penalty for our sin. And it goes on to say that we, we people, the individuals, humanity, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Through Him. What does that mean? It means this. Christ took on the sins of man so that this transaction of reconciliation might take place so that we might be made righteousness or be a partaker of the righteousness of God by what Christ did for us. Friends, that is an amazing transaction. Now this evening, I, I want to stop here for just a moment, and, and I want to say something. I, I know who it is I'm talking to tonight. I believe I know everyone that I am speaking to this evening, and I think I, I have an idea as to what most of us would say, what most of us would profess, etc. I'm familiar with who I'm talking to tonight, but I want us to, to pause here for just a moment and consider something very important that might be helpful to some. There might be some in here this evening who, if they would just be honest, they would have to admit they have never been the recipient of that amazing transaction that is available. Are you following this? Here is Christ, and some 2,000 years ago, He willingly laid down His life on the cross and took upon Himself the sins of man so that men might be reconciled, made right, and be made the righteousness of God through Him, that being Christ. But it's possible that some in here tonight, you have never taken advantage of the transaction that is available. You're still trying to be a good person. You're still trying to be an upright individual. You're still trying to be that model citizen, but you're trying to do it in and of yourself. I just want to remind us tonight, it'll never be enough in and of ourselves to obtain the righteousness of God on our own. It has to be through Christ and no one else and nothing else. It's possible. The more you talk to people, the more you hear stories, this is possible whether we realize it or not, that there could be some in here who are doubting, who are questioning, who are skeptics of the whole story. They just wonder, is it really true? Is it really what the Scripture says? And I know that every one of us have to accept this by faith, but I'm just saying this. If you question, if you doubt the validity of Scripture and what it's teaching, I would simply encourage you, become a student of the Word of God and ask the Lord to open your eyes to the truth of the Word of God because, friends, this is not something we can afford to be wrong on. The consequences of this are eternal. If all we're doing is trying to be good in and of ourselves, if all we're doing is adding religion to the rest of our life, if all we're doing is trying to, to just be certain types of people that would stand in contrast to the world, that is not enough. 
The Scripture says that the only way that we can be reconciled or know the righteousness of God is through the work of Jesus Christ. So why did Christ come to this earth? Why did Christ die on the cross and and take on the sins of man? So that that transaction of salvation could be made possible to whoever would accept it. Without the acceptance of that, there's only one place that that person will spend eternity. And it truly is in a place called hell. Now, I'd like us to listen to this, okay, because this this is fairly important. Knowing a little as to who I am talking to tonight, most of us would say, well, Brother Kyle, I've already got that squared away. Brother Kyle, I've already got that settled. Brother Kyle, I I, I know without a doubt that I'm a child of God. That happened 10 years ago, 20 years ago, however many years ago it took place. Brother Kyle, I I am aware of of what you're talking about, and, and, and I'm already a recipient of salvation because of the transaction that was made available. Friends, think about this. How amazing that transaction was. That's far more amazing than a million dollars on a new sports car. That's more amazing than a private jet that's worth however many millions of dollars. That transaction is worth far more than a $35 million home. It's worth far more than anything else because it changed all of our eternity when we took advantage of what was made available to us by God through Christ, whenever we humbled ourselves before God and we called upon Christ to save us, that fast, in a moment, we went from death unto life. As Paul mentioned in verse number 17, we went from the old man to the new man. Old things were passed away, and behold, all things were made new. Friends, that is a transaction that is overwhelming. Paul said in the book of Romans, it's really one that if you stop and think about it, it's kind of hard to grasp. That a righteous man would die for the ungodly? That's not something that normally happens. That's not something that you would assume would take place. The Apostle Paul, in a sense, seemed to wrestle with the reality of it, almost like, can you believe what was made available to us through Christ because of what God offered us in His Son? Think about the amazing nature of that transaction. No transaction will ever surpass what happened when you and I got saved. But let me ask you, that man sitting on the front row there in the auction house buying a car for a million dollars, it was obvious by his body language that it really meant nothing to him that he had just engaged in that kind of a transaction. 
The person boarding their private jet, they don't stop for just a moment and say, would you look at this, what I'm boarding and what I'm taking advantage of? The one pulling up to the $35 million home, they're not overwhelmed and amazed. They're just used to what it is they've enjoyed for so long. Can I ask you something this evening? How many of you would have to be honest and admit that sometimes you're guilty of being in the same position that I'm guilty of being in? I've been the recipient of the most amazing transaction that could ever take place. I went from death unto life. I went from an old man to a new man. The godly died for the ungodly. And here I am sometimes, almost neutral in my feelings toward it. You ever been there? I know I've dealt with this in the past, but but I think this is something worth revisiting from time to time. The number of times that the things of God ought to excite us, the number of times that the things of God ought to thrill us, the number of times that, that our salvation ought to stop and, or make us stop and think, man, I am a child of God, I am forgiven, I am on my way to heaven. And yet if we're not careful, we can talk about it so casually, so comfortably, like a man who's just bought a million-dollar car, like it's really no big deal. When, friends, it is the biggest moment that could ever take place in anyone's life. How many times are we guilty of just having a ho-hum attitude toward it? How many times are we guilty of not letting the Word of God thrill us anymore? The Word of God that teaches us, that reminds us of the salvation that we have because of what Christ did for us. It just doesn't really fascinate us anymore. I'm just asking us tonight to consider this truth, to consider this thought. Do we need to be reminded of just how amazing that transaction was? I'm confident I need the reminder. I didn't deserve salvation any more than anyone else. But Christ saw fit to save me. All I had to do was call upon him and he was willing to save me. That ought to still thrill me from time to time. It ought to be something that just overwhelms me, that fascinates me, that makes me stand in awe of that moment. It ought to be something that I want to talk about not raise a half-eyebrow, somewhat mocking the person who seems a little too excited about the things of God, like we sometimes have a tendency to do. I'm just saying I think it would be good if we were reminded of what Christ did for us. Not only might it rekindle some I don't know, some wet wood maybe. 
It might remind us of our need to see others reconciled. If we were reminded of what Christ did for us. But if we're not in awe of what Christ did for us, we're not going to be too burdened to tell others what Christ could do for them. We are the recipients, if we are saved, of the most amazing transaction that has ever taken place. We can't afford to just be ho-hum and nonchalant about it. And tonight I'm just going to say this one more time. If you have never called upon Christ to save you, I don't care if you've been in church all your life, I don't care if you've been in church for the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years, if you have never called on Christ to save you, you really can't afford to put it off any longer than you already have. Because we're not guaranteed another opportunity to call upon Christ and let his righteousness be made in us through what he did, not anything that we've done. What do we need tonight? Maybe not everyone needs the sermon, I understand that. But some of us could probably afford to stand in awe of what Christ has done for us. Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, we come to you this evening. Lord, I don't know how you would choose to work tonight. Lord, I don't know if there would be anyone wrestling with whether or not they're saved. Maybe they know just outright that they're not saved, that they're not a child of God. They know that to be true. But maybe they've never really concerned themselves with that. God, I pray that tonight would be the night that they would take serious this issue and be willing to humble themselves and call upon you. And God, for those of us tonight who would already claim this gift of salvation, we've already partook of that transaction that you made available. God, it's possible that some of us tonight just need to be reminded of how amazing that that moment was. We need to let that excite us once more. We need to let that encourage us once more to thrill us, to, to give us that peace that only you can give. God, maybe we just need to focus on what you've done for us and let that be in our life what we need it to be right now. I pray that you'd speak, work however you need. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.